Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 31 of the Sports Fixins podcast. I am Michael Lyon. Alongside me is Justin Minkley. Welcome to the uh, Jim Taylor or Donnie Shell. The Donnie Shell. Or Cam Chancellor. Ace Clarence <laughs> Parker. Or Mike Machowski edition. Those are the Pro Football Hall of Famers who were born 31. Of the Sports Fixins podcast. Uh, also the Reggie Miller edition. I go with Cam Chancellor podcast. too. Because, you know. A Bam Bam more 31? Yeah, he sure did. All right. Well, anyway. So, today on the Fixins, I will be uh, letting out some frustration at uh, at one of my favorite teams. Uh, we will also tell you uh, about what happened in the MLB World Series, if you don't already know. And some big things the Rays did today. Or at least one thing that is definitely big. Um, Minkley has an NHL note about a draft pick. Uh, and also we'll have all the NFL stuff that you could want. But first, Trevor Lawrence has a COVID-19 positive test. Clemson is probably oh fine without him. But we've seen what this has done to Yohan Mankata, to Freddie Freeman. Uh, one of didn't. One of Albies or Acuna get it? I'm guessing so. That's a very I feel good like guess. there was somebody there ex- um, other than Freeman that got it too. Uh, we've seen what this has done to the best athletes in the world. So, Justin Minkley, we start with some college football, and I pose a question to you. Yeah, what's up, Mike? He is positive with the Rona if he is a symptomatic case. And also, you know, let's say that he winds up having some issues. How would you feel not knowing the long-term effects of COVID? How would you feel about picking him at one? Yeah, that's a very good question because of some of the teams that we're looking at who may pick him. Um, I mean, he had talked about earlier in the week that, you know, he he was still thinking about what he would do with Clemson and, and, and going into the pros. So I feel like um, if you're a team like the Jets, and we definitely talked about the Jets for quite a bit and how bad they are, um, we can kind of say that to some degree, maybe this could be a good thing for the Jets, that maybe they don't get them, or maybe this actually lets us look around and see, okay, well, you'll get Trevor Lawrence, but understand since he had COVID, this could be an issue going forward. Maybe you don't have to start him right away. Maybe there are periods in in time where it's like, well, you got to take him out for a couple drives. I mean, it's a little dramatic, I know, but it it is going to make people question and ask, okay, so what do we do with Trevor Lawrence, if we wind up taking him at number one or number two, depending on what, um, who gets the number one overall pick. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, 
that, you know, that he has COVID and we'll see how that plays into his draft stock. I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I think it's a, we, I mean, again, we don't know, you know, we don't know what Mankata or Freeman will look like next year, but uh, it could be, and it could be interesting just to see what the long-term effects of this are, but, but you know, we aren't going to know until the long-term comes. So I don't think it'll be taken into too big a consideration personally. Um, also getting into baseball now, quick transition there. Uh, Rays declining the $15 million option on Charlie Morton, who was going to pitch game seven for them. They also declined the option on Mike Zanino, uh, the catcher that was for four and a half. So the Rays in their $63 million payroll, they've already taken out nearly a quarter of that uh, on two options. I don't blame them. Hey, you're really uh, not. Morton is <laughs> Morton is like 36. He had a really good year. But, yeah, I mean, it, he there supposedly is some speculation that he was going to retire. So I definitely think that, you know, with the retirement speculation, if he feels like he should retire, could be that he feels like his arm doesn't have that many bullets left. So you don't want to pay him $15 million. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, he had a good year for them. Uh, Zunino, you know, this guy is a top pick of the Mariners. I think he was like, he was a first rounder. I know. I think he was like a top five pick. Just has not had a good year. No. Or not a good year. I'm sorry. Has not had a good Made it to a World Series with a raise. And, you know. Best wishes to the guy trying to make something out of his career. But, you know, he's never going to be the hype that he was when he came out of school. And I don't know, you know, who knows if he gets another deal after this one. Um, yeah, you never they, know. They didn't pick it up. He's 29 years old. Third overall pick, by the way. 29 years old. He was getting paid $4.5 million. He only hit, like, his career average is 200 he had very limited action. He only hit 147. You know, he he hit pretty well in, like, the World Series-ish. Yeah. Like, his last seven games, he hit 260, the last seven that he played in. But he's just not good at hitting. And, like, brutally not good at hitting. So yeah. I I don't know I uh, you know he's been in the he's been in the minors uh was, was on rehab but he's been in the minors uh he was a part of a deal that was he uh Guillermo Heredia Michael Plasmeyer to the Rays and they traded away Malik Smith and Jake Fraley so I would say that Seattle won that deal but yeah I don't know. He's got some injury problems. I don't think Zunino is getting another shot at it. If he does, it'll be a minor league deal, probably. And the probably. Rays will clear off. Like, the only piece of dead space they have. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what exactly he gets. I don't I don't know if he'll get anything, and we'll see what the Rays get. Because if you're a GM of those of a team like that, and the Rays have done a fantastic job of this, you got to be able to capitalize off the smallest windows and the smallest costs and the smallest window to be able to do something. And that four and a half million dollars is a small window to be able to do something. Um, 
The Dodgers won the World Series in six. Congratulations. Um, the Dodgers saved themselves from having one of the most pathetic runs in sports history. And you say, well, Michael, they made plenty of World Series. Shouldn't that be commended? Aren't you kind of a, a proponent of that? Yes, I am. Here's the problem. Uh, that team had an absurd amount of salary cap, of talent, the the best man, you know, all the money for the managers, all the money for everything. Yeah. The best that money could buy. Yet, you couldn't manage a World Series until now. It's kind of pathetic to me, really. I mean, it you know, the fact that it took you this long is a joke. It's like the... It's like the Cubs in a way. I think the Cubs, you can't say it's a disappointment just simply because they did win the World Series and they hadn't before. But that Cub dynasty that was supposed to be there drastically underachieved. Yeah, and and this kind of was touched on, especially the past couple of years, where it was like the Cubs really wanted to hit the ball out of the park. It was kind of like they stopped kind of, you know, with that extra, you know, adding as much as you can mentality. You know, make not make the big play, but do something that keeps you in the game. Yeah. And they were really good with that when they won the World Series. And the and this season and the last season, it was kind of like, well, they kind of forgot how to do that. And they kind of wanted to go for the big play more so. Um, and it's kind of, and it is disappointing. I kind of look at the Dodgers in this instance, and I look at uh, the whole Clayton Kershaw thing, and I think to myself, Kershaw finally gets his ring, but geez, how many tries did this man have to get? It's kind of like if we say, like, the Rams win the Super Bowl sometime soon, and we say this about Jared Goff. Yeah. Jared Goff, not a great player, but, I, you know, point taken. Um, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, Jared Goff isn't a great player, but because he was a number one overall pick, it's like, well, when is he going to get to that mountaintop? Right. Especially with the offense and the head coach that he has. Um. And in the other MLB note that I want to get to, uh, White Sox hire 77-year-old Tony La Russa. Oh, uh, boy. I don't think I'm going to go as hard on this as I was planning on. No, I go as hard as you want. I don't know why, but I just don't <laughs> feel like it, but I'll just say this. I have incredible concern about this move. I have incredible concern about why the hell... Jerry Reinsdorf uh, went above his GM's head and basically neutered Rick Hahn and didn't let him pick his own manager. Uh, I don't know why that he felt the need to hire one of his friends in Tony La Russa to be the manager. Tony La Russa is 76 years old. He is the oldest manager in baseball now by five years. Dusty at 71 is the next oldest manager. La Russa has trouble relating to the modern player, as evidenced by his hate for the Fernando Tatis Grand Slam and the hate for bat flips and eccentric things, and in particular, the Black Lives Matter movement. Oh, boy. So 
he's got a a black slash minority rights problem. He's got a eccentric baseball problem, a new age baseball problem. And you hired him to manage one of the guys who's trying to put himself at the front of that new age baseball movement. Uh, in the in the by the way, Tim Anderson. Um, there have been several incredible memes that have come out uh, about what his reaction is going to be when uh, <laughs> Tim Anderson uh, does a bat flip for the first time, and they're wondering if maybe if. TA bat flips off that they will get benched. The only way this is a decent hire is if they win a world series. And I honestly think that that would be the case with this hire more than the other hires. Um, yeah, no, I, I think this is a terrible hire and I hope that, uh, that Rick Hahn, and there's also questions about his mental capacity at damn near 80 years old. So I really hope that there is a better chance for Rick Hahn to bring in the managerial staff. And I hope they, they can bring in the assistant that can take over if, He's not doing his job. Well, there is another problem I have with this, and it's something you haven't touched on yet. Do you remember what Jack McDowell touched on before no. the whole season began? It was about the whole Houston Astros cheating scandal and how back some of the cheating goes. Oh, well, you, the fact that Tony LaRusso's clubhouses were filled with steroid needles? No, no, no. Uh, it actually... The the one Jack McDowell touched on was about the whole cameras in outfield. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder how much this is going to play a part in it. I mean, obviously, the Houston Astros came within one game of going back to the World Series. We've had this hanging over our heads about the whole cheating thing since this, before the season began. And now it seems like, again with all the accusations that came about with Tony LaRussa and the whole camera thing in like the eighties and even with his stint with Cardinals, it's kind of like, how does the MLB not intervene in this and say they do an investigation? I don't know. I think it'd be, I think it'd be interesting, but uh, I, you know what? We'll, we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting to watch. And like you said, some of the uh, very obvious clashes, uh, especially culture with Tony La Russa and how his team is, uh, what he expects for all the teams he's coached and managed. Um, I, this is going to be problematic, to say the least. I, I give this a, at least a month before we get anything out of the locker room. Uh, also, uh, AJ Hinch, who, by the way, 46, not, you know, 76, um, mm-hmm. AJ Hinch is signed by the Detroit Tigers, uh, the Tigers laughing at the White Sox and pissing on their gravestones after they signed LaRusso yesterday. And this is just the most Reinsdorf thing to do is just to do the dumbest shit you can possibly do. So, um, once again, we are waiting for Jerry Reinsdorf to either sell the team or die. Pretty much. And I don't think that we are going to be able to win something until then. Uh, another no. note <laughs> uh, from baseball, A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Tigers, as I just said. So Detroit's got a really good pitching staff coming. They've got some good hitting right now. We'll see what they look like going forward. And I think the AL Central going forward is going to be a big deal. Um, as far as everything else goes in baseball, I think this is going to be an interesting off season because 
I don't know how much you're going to see, at least locally, what what teams do. The Sox, to me, and here's another problem with two, two, by the way, is the fact that the uh, uh, Marcus Stroman, who is a potential candidate for the Sox to sign, was liking and retweeting things about what a terrible move La Russa would be. Jeez. And how black players wouldn't like to play for him. No. So you may have canceled yourselves. Oh, yes. They may have canceled themselves out of Strowman, which is not the biggest deal in the world. It's not Trevor Bauer. But knowing how progressive Bauer is, I would be stunned if this didn't kick them out of Bauer. Which is the worst of it. Um, and free agency should could spice up quickly. Here's some of your key free agents. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton it has a player option. I doubt he opts out, but if he did, that'd be a big name. John Lester, he's biggest in terms of salary, but he's not going to be there. I really doubt Detroit does anything but let Zimmerman go. Masahiro Tanaka and George Springer are up for the Yankees uh, and the Strohs. Then you have the older guys like Arietta, Chu. I think Molina's gone from the league. Uh, Justin Turner, the COVID idiot, the COVID idiot, aka COVID idiot. <laughs> Jeff Samarja, whatever's left of JD Martinez, bullpen arms. Mark Melanson is there. Whatever's left of Cole Hamels. This is a really, really old free agency class. The only, to me, true top guy in this class is Trevor Bauer, who's thirty and could probably sign a long-term deal. Uh, is really it's Bauer, Stanton if he opts out, Springer and maybe Tanaka. Uh, the, the class just isn't very good. There is a decent amount of bullpen help if you want it. And Strowman is only twelve million dollars last year, so he'd probably be reasonably cheap again. And if you want uh, high higher risk, wouldn't be in terms of pay, but just a result. If you want higher risk attempts at outfield you could go get jock peterson if you want a solid middle infielder for not too much money you could go get jonathan scope other than that not really a lot to do in baseball free agency this year so it's going to be kind of quiet trades is going to be the biggest thing uh and Michael, you have a hockey note and then we can get into the nfl yeah, it's a kind of an important one, too, Mike, because uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show. So the Arizona Coyotes, they're obviously in a very weird stage. Uh, we talked about before their GM during the playoffs decided to resign. And this brought in kind of a new face. Maybe they want to do a regime change, uh, start dealing some players out. They did not resign Taylor Hall. They were thinking of trading captain Oliver Ekman Larson. And they only had a certain amount of draft picks going into this past draft. They drafted first in the fourth round. And the guy that they took first was, his name is Mitchell Miller. Why is this important? Well, Mitchell Miller uh, is now involved in kind of a scandal. Uh, It turns out that he had bullied some black special needs kid a handful of years ago. And it got really bad from some of the stuff that you were looking at, Mike. The Coyotes knew about it, and they kind of covered it up. And then it came out. 
I want to say around Wednesday, Wednesday night. And everyone's going after the Coyotes. Now, knowing that their president is the first Latino president in the hockey world, or at least one of the first in the hockey world, and they've been trying to champion civil rights and everything, uh, well, this is going to look awkward now because not only did they fail on that front, um, they're kind of failing at this. They did renounce the rights for Mitchell Miller, which obviously is also a bad thing because that is your first draft pick that you had, and that kind of narrows down the talent pool going into the season, but... Mike, this is just a bad look. I had Hello. myself muted. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Sorry, I was grabbing a granola bar and hit the beat button. I forgot to turn it back on. Um, <laughs> You know what? Look, I know this is a bad look and it was a bad incident and all, but unless you had other character questions, I don't know if it's right to throw a dude's life away because of something he did when he was in eighth grade. And I'm not saying I was a piece of garbage because that's kind of a piece of garbage move. But here's the thing. So he was 14 when he did that, you know, when this incident allegedly happened. I mean, there's no camera proof. So, it, the you know, legally, you say allegedly. Right. When the incident was supposed to occur, he was 14. He's now 18. Okay, I'm a lot different at 18 than I was a lot different at 18 than 14. And I'm a lot different now at 22 than I was at 18. There's right. a lot of growth that happens literally scientifically in the brain and the body that goes on between when he did this and now. If you right. want to reach back to something a guy did in his 20s, okay. I can, but reaching back to what somebody did when they were in grade school, yeah, no, I can't get on board with that. Unless it's like something serious, like a sexual assault, a murder, like it's unless it's like high crimes or something addictive like drug dealing. But we act like bullying isn't commonplace in this culture as adults, let alone as kids. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not buying this. I, I and especially when their president and CEO said they were aware of the incident, they just didn't know the extent. Yeah, bull. You just drafted it and just hoped nobody would notice. And then somebody noticed. You had a character concern. You took him anyway. And then, you know, you had him and then, oops, the character concern, whatever. I mean, what gets more flack? A guy who has a bullying incident when he was in eighth grade or a guy who yesterday got arrested for cocaine? I mean, like, it, you know, it's... It's it's getting ridiculous. The cancel culture thing is getting obscene to me. This is probably an insanely unpopular opinion. Um, I wasn't a special needs kid. Um, and also, unless he has some other racially charged statements, I don't see what being black has anything to do with this. Um, unless, like, he said, I was bullying the kid for being black. Like, there's black has nothing to do with this. So, to me, that is a poor job by CNN of you know naming black classmate in there because it's not got not got a goddamn thing to do with it the disabilities thing i think does have something to do with it makes it worse yes but again eighth grade like 
you know, there were kids that were bullies and that were mean to me, but now we're decent humans. I mean, you know, we're all different than we were then. So I think this is ridiculous. This is this is cancel culture at its worst. And this is also public pressure at its worst because, you know, like guys, you know, beat their wives and get a second chance. But this guy was a ro- was particularly rude to a kid in eighth grade and now he doesn't even get a chance at career. This is bullshit. Through and through. But see, this is a problem I have with a, a situation like this, Mike, where it, it goes by team by team basis. What we look at the Cincinnati Bengals and the Dallas Cowboys and Joe Mixon was drafted despite all his issues because that's who the Bengals are. Mike Brown doesn't give a shit. And he's let his that be known before this is a reason why people want mike brown out we look at what happened with the dallas cowboys you there you can say about jerry jones letting don terry poe uh basically get booted out because he was too fat i mean there's you can raise questions with that where why didn't the coaches tell him to slim down why is it he's too fat and is it you know something else but I think one one of the things that really bothers me with this is the the team knew about this, and now uh, something you raised, even though you know you're in eighth grade and, and you're um you know you're stupid. Let's admit it. We all did stuff around that age period where we were stupid or yeah. I mean, like, even in high school, like oh, one of my friends still lives and in, in works in the town that. He- went to high school in and he lives really close to school uh he lives like right across the street from our high school and about the only thing to go to in that town if you want something to eat is either a couple of restaurants or a casey's so townies frequent the casey's general store right next to the high school so nick you know my buddy nick just sauntered out this has happened a few times where he just kind of saunters on down the street gets something at casey's and then leaves like while we're playing games and he'll come back on mike and he'll go were we that annoying when we were kids? Like, God, high school kids are just so annoying. I hate them. And I'm like, yeah, we probably were. See, so, and I get that part. I think what really pisses me off about this, and in, in something you touched on with this already, the team knew about this and didn't do anything. So the question has to be raised, what else did they know that they didn't, that hasn't been leaked out yet? I mean, the right, fact that... didn't do anything about this before... And this isn't you cutting a dude for media backlash, then what'd you figure out? Exactly. And I think this is when you need not just the NHL, but you need the press to double down and say, okay, so why would you cut him over this? Like, did you find out more? Or yep. and and that's what I don't like. So you take the guy, you knew his history beforehand, you know it after it's reported, then you cut him. I don't know, Mike. Something says that's really damn suspicious. Oh, and yeah, I get what, it's and I get what you're saying about, to me. And I get what you're saying about the other things too, because some we've seen uh, earlier in the week, Eric Reed was basically uh, offered to be on the Washington football practice squad. And we know that there, you know, there's probably some blackballing there or whatnot. Um, but it makes you wonder teams pick and choose what they want to decipher and, and call a crisis and who they want to get rid of at any specific time and throw a title behind it. And I I, I don't know. Something about this says, like, they're going to have to do damage control. The league's going to have to look at the Coyotes a little bit further. 
And oh, by the way, they're still doing their rebuild process, so they're probably going to be crap again, and et cetera, et cetera. No, no, it'll be interesting going forward. Uh, all right, well, let's get on to football. And first, uh, well, first of all, uh, picks are going to get a little bit smaller, the totals, just simply because uh, because we had some success with the listenership. Going to move to a Friday, uh, uh, Friday, yeah, Friday record, a Saturday upload. Right. So last night, Falcons beat the Panthers. We're not going to include that in today's show. But, mentally, I have a list in front of me. And I'm actually going to message this to you right now. Because I have, I have some thoughts on this. Uh, what the hell, if I didn't share it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know what? Actually, oh, there's the button. Uh, I was going to tag you in it, but no, hang on. Let me get this to you. There you go. I sent this to you. And this isn't from the NFL or anything. This is just floating around on meme pages on Facebook. But it actually, I think, is a pretty accurate uh, lineup. Um, ah, so, yes, this. So I want to go through this. We'll start at the bottom, going to the top, okay? The levels, it's like a ranker, basically. The ranks are the Good Luck Trevor Lawrence Club. <laughs> Don't deserve to be mentioned club. And then the regular ones are trash, undercover trash, only win if they're playing a bad team, trying to make the playoffs, Super Bowl hopefuls, and Super Bowl contenders. The good luck Trevor Lawrence club consists of only the Jets, which is fair. The doesn't even deserve to be mentioned club contains the Cowboys. (laughs) The trash club is the Jags, Texans, Vikings, Broncos, Giants, Falcons, Bengals, and football team. Now, personally, Minkley, this is where we can editorialize, I would like Atlanta to be moved down into the Dallas club. Um, I would move Jacksonville down. I would do, I would too. But, uh... Yeah, I I would say you can put the Falcons in there because of some of the stuff that's happened this season. You can definitely move those two teams down. Uh, The undercover trash club is the Eagles, Bears, and Patriots. Honestly, I think you can move the Patriots down to trash. I don't think they're undercover anymore. (laughs) Um, And I had touched on this in my winners and losers section. I, I think because the spotlight is so big on New England with their success, you can't really set, have them at undercover anything. So, yeah, you, you have to move it to trash. <laughs> Only when if they're playing a bad team is Niners, Browns, Chargers, and Dolphins. I will agree with Chargers and Dolphins. I think Browns and Niners need to go into the trying to make the playoffs club. I think I I kind of find this peculiar because this is the one where I have to actually look and think. Okay, um, are they that bad or are they have they played that bad teams? And the Chargers, I would kind of put it undercover trash border right now. Um, Miami and Cleveland, they're still trying to get up there. Um, so maybe they can stay. You know, at least you can say that. Okay, they can win. Um, but the Niners, I would say, trying to make the playoffs club, too. And the trying to make the playoffs club is the Rams, the Colts, the Lions, the Raiders, the Panthers, and the Saints. First of all, the Lions need to be in the trash club. They should not be this high. Um, I would I argue, 
the Panthers and the Raiders should go in the only win if they're playing a bad team. And yes, the Chiefs was an anomaly. Um, you know what? I'm I'm gonna leave the uh, the Raiders in this because they have yet to play a bad team, and I touched on that in my winners and losers section too. Um, they have yet to play a bad team, Mike, and the fact that they've come out three and three, um. I, I'll leave them in there, and I'll also leave the Rams in there, but the Colts cannot be in this category from what I've seen. They're the only win if they're playing a bad team club. Okay, I'll go with the two. Uh, uh, as for the Panthers, I'm going to put them in undercover trash or ooh. only win if they're playing a bad team. The, from what I saw from them last night, a playoff team that's trying to get into the playoffs, I get it's three days off. You're playing a team that's blown three fourth quarter leads. You should be able to win that one. And they weren't. We talked about it. Their offensive line looked like crap. <laughs> the Super Bowl hopefuls club is the Titans, Cardinals, and, and Bills. So basically, to me, this is your solid playoff teams tier, and I think this is fine. Now, they have the contenders. This is Super Bowl contenders, so you're cream of the crop. Chiefs, Buccaneers, Steelers, Ravens, Packers, Seahawks. I think the Bucks should go to undercover trash. I get it. I do. And I'm cool with the rest of them being called contenders. Whoever wins the AFC North is probably going to wind up in the AFC title game against Kansas City. And is there any other candidate? And no, and I don't think the Buccaneers are it. Is there any other candidate right now for the NFC title game that isn't Packers Seahawks? See, that's where I'm going to I'm going to come in and disagree a bit because I kind of view the Seahawks as Super Bowl hopefuls. Um I look I don't know if you've looked their injury list for this game against the Niners is very brutal. I think they're going to be out um three running backs. They're going to have I think two offensive linemen out both on their strong side left of Russell Wilson. The defense has been ass. We know that. Yes, they get Carlos Dunlap, but he's not going to play for this game. Um, they'll get some guys back. I don't know, though. And I'm not saying, you know, because you, when you have a double-digit lead to Arizona, that, that deserves to bump you down. But we're seeing after the bye week that there was really no change with the defense. Basically, it's up to Russell Wilson to put up 34 points a game. I would switch Seattle with Tennessee. From what we've seen with Tennessee, they took Pittsburgh down to the wire. We know that um, whoever is, was it, 5-0, and whoever wins that game winds up going to the Super Bowl. But I don't think Tennessee is just out of it yet. I think Goskowski had one of those low moments again. He's been hot or cold, depending on the game. I think the, I think the Titans are Super Bowl contenders. When you have Derrick Henry and the offensive line is mostly healthy and we've seen the Tannehill stats, the defense has to get good on their end, too. And this is one of the few seasons where it's like, well, the defenses are going to heat up probably by December because of how a lot of these teams didn't even have, what was it, preseason or practices as much as we would a regular season. Um, 
Tampa, though, I don't know. I think the Bears loss that they had is kind of the wake-up call that they needed because we saw how good they were against Green Bay. If they beat New Orleans, if they beat New Orleans in their second game in Tampa, I think they're going to look more like the Super Bowl contenders than they will undercover trash by a, by a landslide. Mm-hmm. But it's also how they beat the Saints, too, because from what we've seen with the Saints, especially on defense, uh, the offense is starting to carry the load again. And that's without Michael Thomas. So if Michael Thomas comes back, maybe we're looking at a different Saints team or maybe we're looking at a much tighter NFC South race. We don't know yet. But I'd say for the most part, um, especially the top two, they've got the top nine teams in there. Maybe would switch two or three of them. But for the most part, this is accurate. Okay, okay. So, let's look back at last week in the NFL. Shout out to Wado and Sylvie, by the way, for debuting that as well. This is how I found out about it. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, it was indeed. <clears throat> All right, so. Let me get the scores from last week. Uh, games just stuck out to you from week seven, Minx. Yeah, let me look at uh, some of the ones from... Two games stood out to me right away. The Eagles could beat the Giants only by one point, and the fact that uh, Todd Gurley fell into the end zone and uh, scored a touchdown, but wound up making Atlanta lose because they don't have a defense. 23-22. to We'll talk about the Bears game later. Um, Cincy proving that they're a team that's going to be rising pretty soon to me because, you know, Joe Burrow was awesome. Uh and they have some good talent there. It's just that, you know, not there yet. Um, they're not in contention to win that many games yet because their defense and their O-line is so poor. Uh, Pittsburgh proving to me that they're the class of the AFC. And other than that, uh, the Bills just forgot to show up against the Jets, although I don't blame them. The Cowboys are the worst team in the – well, no, because the Jets exist – the Cowboys are one of the worst teams in the NFL. Let's see. Uh, good job of the Chiefs and not playing down, especially in the snow. Uh, Drew Locke is not good. Oh, um, my big takeaway from the week, like my big note this week, is the Patriots are garbage. Like, they're not good. In fact, they suck. Yeah, I got I got a couple big takeaways. Um, so obviously last week Minnesota, Indianapolis, Miami, and Baltimore did not start. Um, but I think if I had a big takeaway, it would be young quarterbacks. Young quarterbacks are basically won my week. Um, we're seeing more that Kyler Murray is going to be the face of the future. Obviously, Tua Tunga Vailoa was named the starter for the Dolphins and the Rams game upcoming. Um, But Joe Burrow is taking those steps. The things that we talked on about that Colts game, about how he's going to save that game tape and he's going to find ways to, like, decipher it 
And it looks like he got a good jump on that already. The Bengals lost by three. But uh, Baker Mayfield, got to give credit to him where he actually used his arm to get that win over the Bengals. Um, I, I really like how despite some of some of the games where it wasn't really close, where it was like the Green Bay-Houston game or Kansas City-Denver, um, Jacksonville-LA, Justin Herbert getting that first professional win, I think was a big confidence booster. It actually sets the pace for where the Chargers want to go. They'll have an easier schedule too, by the way. So I think um, the Chargers do have a case, and Justin Herbert does, to, to show and progress his play. And obviously for what you discussed, you discussed the Eagles-Giants game. The, the games that weren't on Sunday were really good for if you want to have something that's eye-opening. Um, I don't know what the, the Giants-Eagles game says about the Giants other than the fact that they're just trash. Um, but there, remember what we talked about when it came to the Rams and Bears game. Now, I have been criticizing the Bears for the longest about how legit this team is, how crap they really are. I mean, don't get me wrong. You've been like that, too. You know your stuff with the Bears more than I know about the Bears. Um, but the way they've won games, honest to God, I don't know how they have five wins. And the Rams, they came into Monday night beating only NFC East opponents. Their two losses were outside the NFC East, and now the Rams have some confidence going forward to say, okay, we, we've beaten a team that has a winning record. That kind of helps a bit. But I don't know what to make out of that game other than the Bears are just crap. Yeah, I mean, that was like... <clears throat> I, that is probably... Oh, I'm going to look at that Patriots game. I think that... This is probably the worst Bears game. Not the, well, no. This is the worst in the last couple of years. One of the worst games I have ever seen. Um, I think it has to be 2014. Here we go. Bears Patriots, Week 8, 2014. Yeah, that was an awful game. New England 51, uh, Chicago 23. This is the last year of Tressman. This was in New England at Gillette Stadium. This was either the game before the bye or the game after the bye. Uh, the Bears went down to 3-5 and five after they lost 51-23. to 23. They gave up 31 points in the second quarter. They scored two garbage-time touchdowns in the third and fourth. This score really should have been like 51 to 7. Um, this was the second quarter for the Patriots. Field goal, touchdown from Brady, touchdown from Brady, touchdown from Brady, fumble return with 15 seconds to go. Uh, 51 23. That may be the worst performance I've ever seen from the Bears. The other one, that was before the bye. Then after the bye, was the other worst game that I can immediately think of. Packers 55, Bears 14. After a bye week. 
Mark Tristman and the Bears go up to Lambeau Field against Mike McCarthy and the Packers, and they lose 55-14. The score at halftime was 42 to nothing. The Bears yeah, outscored him in the second half. That was half a Sunday court. night game, and I think that was on my Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, that was Sunday night. Um, and it was 14-13 the second half. But uh, the first half, Aaron Rodgers, six touchdown passes. Two to Jordy Nelson, one to Brandon Bostick, one to Andrew Corliss, one to Eddie Lacey, and one to Randall Cobb. That's just bad. And the only Bear touchdown, the the Bears only had one offensive touchdown. The other touchdown they had was a 101-yard kickoff return. Um, and Jay Cutler was pick six. So, yeah, the offense basically didn't score. <laughs> if you give the Jay Cutler pick six, it's points the other way. Um, that is one of the worst Bears games I can think of. And I cannot think of the year. It's a very early Cutler year. I got to try and find it here. Here we go. October 28th, 20. Oh, that, that game is after Patriots. Oh, no, it's not. It's, here we go. 2010. Giants 17, Bears 3. The Bears were 3-0 and coming into this game. They walked out 3-1. at Giants sacked Cutler nine times in the first half, and he was out of the game. Cutler's final stat line was 8 of 11, 42 yards in one pick. This game, the Bears had 110 total yards of offense. But to me, the difference in this game, this Giants game, this was also a Sunday night game. Um, the difference in this Sunday night game is that that Giants team was actually not that bad. And the defense was good. It's just that the offense was horrific. Now, in the previously mentioned games, the Packers and the Patriots, those games were horrific because neither the defense nor the offense remembered how to play football. But at least in those games, there was some kind of hope in the second half when the respective teams quit trying. Right. In this game, they were, they looked like the worst team in the NFL in the beginning. And they stayed that way to the end. The Giants played better than them this week. The Jets played better than them this week. For this week, the Chicago Bears were the worst team in the NFL. I have been saying this the entire time they've been winning. This team is dog shit. <laughs> they are. Their offensive line is dog shit. Their defensive scheme is dog shit. Their quarterback room is dog shit. Their receiving core, outside of Allen Robinson, who's really trying to get on my bad side, is not very good. By the way, Allen Robinson will be out this Sunday, I believe. Their head coach is dog shit. <laughs> Their play calling is dog shit. <laughs> Everything about this fucking sorry excuse for a team is complete dog shit. 
<laughs> I have seen Mighty Mites, which is like I, the pre-K version of football, tackle better than a bunch of fucking people getting paid millions of dollars to play pro football. How the fuck do you not know how to tackle? I have never seen a bunch of people who can't tackle anybody and get paid to do it. Eddie Jackson is the only human being on the field that could tackle somebody that whole freaking game. Roquan Smith, if this was his rookie year, he'd have been a bust. He's been horrid this year. Kyle Fuller has disappeared. And I, I mean horrid in the sense of the dude is getting his ass run over every play and like can't make a, you know, can't make a tackle anymore. And he was such a good tackler as a rookie. I don't know what the heck is going on with Roe. Maybe he's got Corona, like, you know, kind of like Mankata for the White Sox. But I don't know. There's something going on with Roe. Um, Danny Trevathan is the worst fucking defensive player in the NFL. Well, he's out of his prime. There can not be a worse coverage guy in the fucking league than him. Chuck Pagano should be punched in the face every time he leaves Danny Trevathan in coverage. (laughs) Uh, Khalil Mack had a sack in... That they, they, they might have gotten into the 30s if he didn't. Um, the only reason that the, uh, Roy Robertson Harris blocked the field goal, he played a good game. Like the Bears' bench plays better than their starters outside of Eddie Jackson, who got robbed again. See um, here, and and I have to make. And he did get a TD, by the way. Eddie did the one TD in this whole game came from Eddie freaking Jackson, who's a corner. The offense put up three points. <laughs> They couldn't get into the end zone. <laughs> they had two red zone possessions. I don't know where the fuck Nick throws Oles was throwing the first one. I have no idea. Just like at the end of that Pittsburgh-Tennessee game, I got no idea what the fuck Big Ben thought he was doing. I have no idea what the fuck Nick Foles thought he was doing. And then the second one was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. That, that's the worst of line at football. If there is no white hair this week, that's the worst line in the NFL. Bobby Massey, you are the worst right tackle in the NFL. And again, I will say what I always say. I'm not trying to attack these guys personally because I'm just talking about football here. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about them in real life. Uh, Just (laughs) always like to make that distinction. Um, But yeah, uh, Ted Ginn Jr. should be arrested for stealing money. He fielded no punts. He didn't even fair catch any of them. Okay, but, what the fuck? Okay, but Mike, here's the thing. This, I said this, I think, after week three or week four. This team, if I had to draw a comparison to this Bears team, I would say they're the 2012 Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals, for anyone who doesn't know, they started off 4-0, and then after that 4-0 start, they won one game out of, a, out of 12. That's because, probably what the Bears will do. Because um, the quarterback play was so bad. Now, here's the thing, Mike. Wasn't it Drew Stanton? No, it was Kevin Cobb who was the starter. Oh, okay. And Drew Stanton wasn't there yet. So there was... I'm trying to think. Uh, Ryan Lindley was the third stringer, but someone, one of the other quarterbacks got hurt. 
And, and the problem was they had to play through defense because the offense was so putrid. And this is the closest comparison I can come to. The big difference between those two teams is Ken Wisenhunt is actually a good coach, except he got ruined. <laughs> um, Matt Nagy, I'm, if you want to find out how trash this team is, and this is why I have to jump in here, because Ted Ginn Jr., I don't find to be trash. The problem is... How bad is this coaching staff? How many guys he didn't feel the punt a... the whole damn night? That's but, not Nagy. But... He don't know how the hell to make a fair catch. He's thirty-five damn years old. He's been returning kicks for how long? But see, see? this is where like we have to do. We have to break things apart and say, okay, this coaching staff in in general is just bad. Because I could give you probably a, a let's say Kyle Shanahan is coaching this team. There's no way. We're talking about fire the coach, fire uh, the general manager, get rid of the QBs. I think what we're talking about is, oh, how is Shanahan going to fix this? Because Shanahan's a creative guy. He knows how to evolve in advance. The problem with this coaching staff that's been put together is you have, there's no way it's going to evolve. It's the same scheme. It's the same damn play calling. Nagy does not learn. He's been calling the same scaredy-ass play calling with this Bears team he has since the Eagles game in the playoffs. The only two exceptions to that are, sorry, the only one exception to that is Dallas last year. The one? That's the one exception. This year has been slightly different, and he's at least attempting to run the ball. He does the same fucking thing every time he runs right at Aaron Donald. With a pathetic offensive line, which is the dumbest shit you could possibly do, and whenever the four times a game he tries to run a stretch play, he does it with Cordero goddamn Patterson, who must have naked pictures of Matt Nagy, and is blackmailing him, because why else in the fuck is Cordero Patterson the next Taekwon Mizell and is the most loved man by Matt Nagy? Nagy and Patterson should just go have a threesome with Taekwon Mizell. Good that God. Is- very disturbing to think about. So back to the actual football point here. How many guys do you have on offense that are that are coordinating things? You have a guy who coordinates the wide receivers and, and the quarterbacks together. There's no way any of the other teams in the NFL do anything like that. And you look at how the Bears have won games. Now, obviously, the 2012 Cardinals at least had some form of offense that wasn't complete trash the first four weeks of the season. Mike, I got to tell you, with what I've seen so far with this Bears offense and these five wins that they have, here's what we're looking at here. We have, they beat a Detroit team that choked a, a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. Okay, That was the first game of the season. The first game of the season. They beat the Giants because Daniel Jones ran out of time on the last drive. They probably would have scored. Let's throw that out there. The Giants get extra time. The Giants probably win that game. They lose. They should have lost to Atlanta, but because Mitch Trubisky threw his first interception of the season, Nick Foles came in. He let a comeback. Falcons choked. When the Falcons clearly were the better team that whole game. Indianapolis, they lost that game. We knew that. Tampa Bay. They win by one point. Tampa Bay committed 15 penalties for over 200 yards because the offensive line couldn't stop moving, holding people, and and whatever, especially in the second half. Tampa should have won that game. 
Carolina. They beat by seven points. No Christian McCaffrey. Teddy Bridgewater pretty much gets whacked around quite a bit. Even with the, with a t- the turnovers they had, the Bears won by seven. This team is absolutely trash. And uh, by the way, Minkley, uh, thank you for your interjection. I, I am not quite done yet. Oh, and I know I know you're not. And and okay, the fact that they have to play New Orleans, Tennessee, and a Vikings team that probably is going to lose their asses off because that's what Kirk Cousins does on Monday Night Football. I don't know. I really. I. I what are we watching? Because it's not football. No, it's suck. This is the offensive line. Sam Mustafir. Who's that? Cody Whitehair, who's injured. Alex Bars. Arlington Hambright. Jermaine Ianfetti. Jermaine Ifetti, yeah. Everybody. Rashad Cowherd, or Coward. Charles Leno. Booby Massey. And Jason Spriggs. Jai, Gan, Tick, Pile, Of, Suck, E, Tood. Holy hell, can Ryan Pace be considered to be doing his job if he hasn't gone to somebody's high school varsity squad to at least attempt to bring in an offensive tackle yet? How the hell can Ryan Pace be considered to be doing his job when Bobby effing Massey is still the tackle for the Chicago Bears? And not only that, he re-signed the fucking guy. Now look, at the time when the extension of Charles Leno happened, Leno was a good player. He was better in the past than he was the run. He was a good tackle. I don't know what's going on with Leno. He's having a bad season. I didn't like him at the time. I didn't think they should have extended him. I think there's been several guys in the last few drafts that they should have taken instead of him. But I don't totally fault like to the degree of the Massey thing uh, that uh, the Leno signed. Maybe he just thought Leno was best available, that he didn't like anything else, and I suppose that's fair. Here's Bobby Massey's a joke. Bobby Massey's a bad joke. The interior of this line, they didn't do anything to replace Kyle Long when he retired. I thought they might do something. They did nothing. James Daniels went down. They didn't do a damn thing. Ian Fetty doesn't count as doing anything because he sucks. And Fetty is the most penalized offensive lineman in the NFL the past four years. And trust yeah, me. Yeah, and you know what? You know who's number two in two of those years? Is Charles freaking Leno. Here's the problem with Charles Leno. And I think it's a very important thing to point out with how dumb Matt Nagy is. Your GM drafts a mobile quarterback, Right. He gets an offensive line that's supposed to be suited towards mobile quarterback. The big example of this is Charles Leno. 
Matt Nagy wants his scheme to be a pocket passing scheme, right? Yep. He gets the pocket passing QB he wants. Now we're like, oh my God, why is it Nick Foles is doing so bad and is getting beat to shit all the time? Well, that's because the offensive line is supposed to be for a mobile QB. And Charles Leno played better with Trubisky because Trubisky actually takes some of the pressure off of Leno by being mobile, by using his legs. But no, Matt Nagy wants his quarterbacks to be pocket passers. This is why, see, it's very hard for me to wonder how much of this drafting is so bad by Ryan Pace because his head coach does not evolve the players. And the problem is that this is the head coach that Ryan's got. So technically, you have to fire both of these guys. And it, it is wild because I feel like with a different coach, Mitch Trubisky could be pretty good. We've seen what Mitch's positives were. He is very good. He's very accurate outside the pocket. He can make plays stretch longer. He can find ways to make something happen. But the problem is the head coach of this team has bombed everywhere he's been with the same consistent scheme and does not want to focus outside of it. And it, it's... Hey, it's Justin. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry, I thought you were done. Keep going. And it's so aggravating because you know, you know if this head coach isn't stubborn, if he really opens things up and decides, okay, let's hit him right in the mouth or let's get the QB outside of the pocket. This is a different team. This is a playoff caliber team. The coaching holds them back. Okay. Hey, Minkley. Yeah. Do you know where Robert Quinn is? He's with the Bears. No, where is he? Oh, like on the field? Man, I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I w- I, well, no, he's clearly not on the field. He's not there. I was just wondering if you maybe you knew where he was. Because the Bears don't. Nobody knows where the hell this guy is. Robert Quinn, through seven football games, has five total tackles. What the hell? Five. Five tackles in seven fucking games. Minkley, they are paying him $14 million this year. He is projected 11 tackles. He is on pace to make 1.2 million a tackle. Well, this is just, I, I, but again, it's on coaching. And he's in on a lot of snaps. It's not like Nagy's got a problem with the dude and he's just not a, he's in on a bunch of snaps when he's been in the game. Fairness, he has had a couple of games out, but the plays games he's played in, he's fucking pathetic. Robert Quinn has been a massive disappointment. 
You know who else has had five tackles? Joel Aigbunyewe, who's had like an 18th of his snaps. You know who has more tackles and more sacks than Robert Quinn? Barkevius freaking Mingo. Barkevius Mingo had more tackles in the Rams game than Quinn has had in the entire year. Solos and tied the total tackles. James Waters. I don't even know who the hell this is. <laughs> he has 15 tackles in a sack and a half. Robert Quinn has five tackles. Five. Not Barney Fife. Five tackles. Fife. Barney Fife. He's supposed <laughs> to be a compliment to Khalil Mack on the other side. Ooh, Mack and, and me at the beginning of the year. Mack and Hicks and Quinn. Oh, my. Khalil Mack has five sacks. Okay? Yeah. Robert Quinn has five total tackles. Can you say shit free agent signing? Good. Considering who Four. they played, yeah. He's a goddamn linebacker. If he was a nose tackle, okay. A linebacker. What the hell? Um, also, uh, here's what I don't understand. The two biggest receptions in that Bears game Monday night were by Cole Komet because I guess whatever whatever drug cartels after him is finally away because he must have been in witness protection because that's the only way they didn't throw him the ball is they didn't want him to get seen on TV because he's in the witness protection program. I, I I don't know what other reason there is that you draft a fucking guy in the second round and you don't use him. And he can actually catch a damn football, apparently, because he actually did catch the damn thing. Like, Cole Clement has, like, four receptions the entire year because they refused to throw to him. They throw to Demetrius freaking Harris, which is another one of the people that Nagy beats off onto their chest at the end of every game for no goddamn reason. Like, uh, Cole Komet, two targets, 45 yards, an average of 22 and a half. Both of those came in a first quarter. They never went to him again. His total season... Five catches, 77 yards, that's 15.4 uh, per catch, and a touchdown. He's your best fucking tight end. I mean, Graham has been good, but per the numbers, he's your best tight end. You drafted him in the second round. Use him, dumbass. <laughs> Seven targets, five catches, one tub. That's a good year. That's a good job. That's a good game. But no, no. That's seven years. That's seven games for this guy who they're trying to ruin because Nagy's a dumbass. Why the fuck are you drafting tight ends for a guy who doesn't use tight ends? Good God. Please fire Ryan Play Ryan Pace. By the way, Pace did make a damn good pick in Darnell Mooney and Jalen Johnson. The only thing that's going to save his job at the end of the year is going to be the fact that there wasn't so many good defensive players in the last draft, like Jeremy Chin, who's been phenomenal, probably wins rookie of the year for the Panthers. Saw him at SIU, by the way. He was damn good. 
Um, if it's not for Jeremy Chin, I would put Jalen Johnson up there somewhere in the rookie of the year race. He has been so good since they got him. That was an awesome pick. Mooney has been a uh, Mooney and Anthony Miller are two mid round receivers who, who are actually not that bad. Miller, unfortunately hasn't been able to catch a football this year, but Darnell Mooney is fast and he's pretty good. Like, Javon Wims and Riley Ridley should see the field more. Miller and Mooney are decent. It's just a shame the Bears don't have a quarterback because that wide receivers room should get more recognition than it does because they should have a better quarterback. But see, again, it's on the coach to develop the quarterback, and we're not seeing that much. No, we're not. And and you know what? Good job, Jimmy Graham. I'll, I'll applaud him for the Graham signing. I thought it was going to be terrible. Jimmy Graham's been better. Um. Demetrius Harris. Why the hell they run bubble screens for him, I will never understand. I don't know who this guy is. I have no idea. He's 29 years old and is in his seventh year. I don't know who he is or where he came from. I don't know if he's on the Bears last year, 10 years ago, or five minutes ago. No idea who the hell he is. I don't know why they're using him the same amount they're using Cole Komet. It's just unbelievable to me. He he is the war. And again, maybe this is just because I watch the Bears so intimately. Intimately, huh? Is there any worse? Yeah, like a lot. Uh, Um, (laughs) Is there any worse user of personnel in the National Football League than Matt Nagy? Maybe Adam Gase, but no. Okay. But I mean like personnel-wise, like using your personnel to their full potential. And here's another thing I like this. This is either Brad Biggs or Joe Ostrowski. I can't remember. Said this on Monday night. Why in a league where like everything is geared towards the offense? How the fuck do the Bears make it look so difficult? Like you watch the Bears play offense, you'd think it was a med student trying to do brain surgery. Like I don't get how they managed to make that task look so hard. And I don't even want to blame it on like their, their personnel really. Cause I mean, yeah, the offensive line's pathetic, but the receiving core shouldn't look this bad. You know, there should be no reason this team looks this poor. Like, this is just ridiculous. Mike, it's coaching. It, it's legit what it is. <sighs> the Bears are an abomination. I hope they fire everybody. Unbelievable. All right, well, I'm going to go puke. Let's get to the everything else this week. Um. Oh. Uh. Oh. Actually, before we get into this week's predictions, hey, John Bostic. Fuck you. Hey, guy who tried to cripple Teddy Bridgewater last night. Fuck you. The fact that John Bostic didn't get suspension shows what a shit Roger Goodell doesn't give about player safety. John Bostic should be banned for the year. That sorry piece of trash that Atlanta trotted out there last night that was on there. I think he was a D-line or linebacker. 
the guy that tried to cripple Charles Harris. The guy that tried to uh, cripple Teddy Bridgewater. Fuck you. You should be banned from football forever. I don't care if you're a first-round pick from 2017. You, sir, should be banned from the NFL. You should be banned from the XFL. You should be banned from the Canadian Football League. You should be banned from every league there is. Last night, Teddy Bridgewater got kicked in the nuts and tripped by a dipshit that was playing edge rusher for the Falcons. And as he was stumbling to the ground and going down onto his back, this sack of shit decides to rush in, whack him in the head with his shoulder, and try and paralyze him. Thank God Bridgewater's okay. Charles Harris, oh, Dante Fowler, there we go. Dante Fowler, kind of a dick move, dude. Because, like, why are you tripping? Why? I guess you're trying to make the tackle, but is it worth the 15 yards? Harris, fuck you. Please serve your lifetime suspension. I pray to God Goodell does something about this. Because that sack of shit should never play football again. Try to murder another human being. What a piece of shit. Any thoughts on the game last night other than that, Minkley? Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed in the Panthers, mostly because this is... Well, their offensive line wasn't there. Well, okay. Let's start off with this. I'm disappointed with the Panthers because, okay, I get it. You you only have three days. Um, You came off another difficult loss to an opponent that you really took the fight to. And you wound up beating Atlanta when they were down. I know Atlanta has had your number for the past couple of years, but this is a team that you must beat if you need to be considered a playoff caliber team. And they didn't beat them. And I feel like this is one of the few, this is one of the few games that they're going to regret. I get the whole Bridgewater, PJ Walker situation late when Bridgewater got hurt. You know, you can say whatever you want about Dante Fowler and the other guy who came in to hit Bridgewater in the back of the head. Um, but I really feel there there was more the the failed to the four yeah the failed fourth down attempts did go. not benefit the Panthers at all. I think this is one of the few times you look at analytics and say, hmm, maybe shouldn't have gone for that, or probably should have drawn up a different play. Um, but Atlanta defensively up front was the better team all night, and I, that's something that worries me. If I'm if I like the Panthers because their next three games, I know they got Kansas City as the next one. And I think Tampa Bay and New Orleans is maybe the other one of the two of the three. Um, but I'm kind of worried. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Mike. I'm kind of worried about. Uh, how Carolina is going to fare because they had them in the winners section, even though they lost because they look better. This is a team that really will do well once McCaffrey comes back. But now I'm kind of having second thoughts on if they should play McCaffrey. I don't even know. I I guess you just should just so you get some out of him before he leaves. But I don't know. It just, 
I, I'm so confused on Carolina because on the one hand, you've got the Bears game and the Falcons game where you're like, okay, yeah, we can definitely say that Carolina's not good. But yeah, we can we can say they're still in rebuild mode. But on the other hand, you have them getting within like six inches of beating the Saints, beating the Chargers, who I don't think are that terrible, and a pretty convincing win over Arizona, where you're like, so wait, are they good? And they did beat Atlanta once, by the way, so they just split that season series. They probably should have swept it, but even still. They split the season series, so it's like, wait a minute, but are they good or not? I'm leaning toward not, but I don't think we know. And we're not going to figure it out in the next two weeks because they got the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Um, But I don't know if we know. I guess that means the answer is no. I mean, they're somewhere in the middle because obviously the Saints and the Bucks have the better firepower. They're better on uh, both sides of the ball than the Panthers are. I still find it strange that the Panthers are sixth in the NFL in, in passing yards. But yeah, if I look at the schedule, here's the thing. They get two road games. So they get Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Detroit, and Minnesota. And I think when they go into that bye week for the first week of December... It's going to be very interesting to see how this team performs. Minnesota, I don't know. Uh, they could continue to freeload a lot of their defensive talent. But the the next three games, for sure, is going to tell us more about the Panthers, specifically how they fare against teams that could be in the middle of the pack. So uh, I want to see how that goes. And next week, I kind of want to look at what teams are good and what teams aren't good. By the way, one note about, I forgot to mention about the uh, Bears. Mr. Minkley. The Chicago Bears have played seven NFL games. They have scored 138 NFL points. How many other teams do you think have fewer points than they do? I heard this. I think it's, uh, I'm assuming the Jets are one. Yes. The football team and the Giants. Uh, Just the football team. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You're right. The Giants. I almost didn't see them. Um, Yes. The only offenses worse through seven games are the football team, the Giants, and the Jets. And realizing that the Giants almost beat them on a and last... also realizing that the both uh, you know, or, well both those NFC teams and that that team in the AFC might be the worst team I've ever seen. Yeah, um, I am still. By the way, on FanDuel, the odds of a team going zero and sixteen, so basically the Jets, is it plus two ninety? It was this plus six hundred when I bet on it in week four. So even the bookies are starting to be like, okay, yeah, they might actually go in sixteen. Because and this is how we'll transition into picks. 
this is who the Jets have. The Chiefs. Oh, my God. The Patriots. The Chargers, the Dolphins, the Raiders, the Seahawks, the Rams, the Browns, and the Pats. I think they have a chance to beat the Patriots or the Dolphins. I don't think they will. I legit think they won't win a game. I I look at that and I think, okay, they may have a shot at New England. And they may have a shot at the Chargers. Depending on which Chargers team shows up, because remember they're facing rookie QB, um, they can they can mix some things up, and the Chargers defense it depends on who they have offensive linemen. But uh, at this point, I'm I'm thinking they're they're going to go zero and sixteen more. Yep. All right. Uh, Justin Minkley, I am going to go into the slide for the overall picks this year because I didn't make a pick slide from this week because we didn't have too, too much content. So please allow me to go into the overall 2020 pick slide real quick. No, that's fine. Um, so here's... Update if any- them on last week. So for anyone who hasn't uh, kept up, it was a wonderful... Wonderful week for Michael Dion. Michael, you had probably one of your best weeks I've ever seen. Michael went 12 and 1. That one loss, not going to get it's hilarious. It was the Seahawks loss against the Arizona Cardinals. By the way, Russell Wilson has lost to two quarterbacks in which he's had two 10 point leads. Both of those games took place in Glendale, Arizona. What's the totals now? I'm getting to that. I went okay. 10 and 3. The two games I differed with Mike on, and I took that Seattle loss, uh, wound up costing me. Michael leads us so far 78 and 26 for the year. I am 74 and 30. Hey, I think those are both really damn good records. They are. 78 and 26 is pretty freaking good. They really are. All right, uh, and again, those numbers won't, won't perfectly add up to the number of games played every week because as of now, we're going to start recording on Friday and p- publishing on Saturday. Uh, Bills and Patriots will start things off in Orchard Park, New Jersey. The line, Buffalo minus four, supposed to be rainy, but uh, yeah, give me the Bills in this one, and as far as action goes, I'm going to take the points as well. Quick question, Mike. Should we predict next Thursday's game? <sighs> you know... I've been wondering about that, but I think it's going to kind of look kind of weird on the sheets when we have like multiple teams. So I've decided no. Okay. So Thursdays are going to be like our off days. Yeah. Thursdays. We're just not going to predict. Okay. So fair enough. Uh, I picked the Panthers to win last night anyway. So maybe it's a good thing we didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Bills or Pats. This is probably the hardest game for me to pick because you would want to think the Pats are going to, you know, as bad as they've been, they want to show up. But the Bills have been pretty consistent, but they have not looked good the past four games. I'm sorry. And I'm taking the Bills here, but I think it could be a low-scoring game. Uh, uh, By the way, fan duel line for the Bills is minus three and a half. Uh, Titans and Bengals, Tennessee favored by six and a half. In Paul Brown, no Mixon. Oh, Titans for sure. 
Mixon is out, so give me Tennessee and the points, big time. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Burrow has been really good, but that Titans defense is pretty solid, and no Mixon will kill them. Yep. Uh, Raiders and Browns. Browns only favored by three in what is to be a rainy First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. The Raiders have wins over the Panthers, Saints, and Chiefs this year. Although, again, the Chiefs is an outlier. They have a major loss to New England, a loss, a gigantic loss to the Bucks, and a loss to the Bills. The Browns, on the other hand, are 5-2. and two. They have a demolished loss to the Ravens, wins over the Bengals, football team, and Cowboys and Colts and Bengals. Um, so two wins over the Bengals, a massive loss against the Stullers. So is Cleveland for real or are they not for real? I don't know, but this ain't going to prove it. But still, give me the Browns this week. I can't believe we're going different ways on this again. I'm taking the Raiders on this. I think the Raiders have played six really good teams to start off. Um, I I think the big thing that I wondered with Cleveland, okay, yes, they're going to spread the ball around more. I think the Raiders, though, had better practice than they by far did against the Tampa game, and I'm I'm regretting that one, looking back at it more. Um, but Odell Beckham Jr., that is going to be a bigger loss than I think people realize. They, it's going to give Jarvis Landry, obviously, more double looks. The tight ends are going to be at least a bit of a factor, but Oakland's linebackers are pretty good. The big thing is getting the pressure, and I think this is going to come down to which defense makes a stand first. Do I trust Cleveland's defense more, or do I trust Oakland's defense more? And I'm going to go with the Raiders on this one. Colts and Lions is next. This is in Detroit. Uh, Colts a three-point favorite. Uh, The big ones here, Ryan Kelly is questionable. So is Moali Cox, but this is Detroit's injury list. Everson Griffin is out. Taylor Decker is questionable. AP is questionable. Trufant is questionable. Uh, Detroit might have an injury-riddled thing. Uh, Give me the points and give me the win for the Colts here. I think there's too many Detroit injuries to ignore. Well, questionable means that you're probably going to play. It's just the status of how you are. See, to me, questionable is 50-50. Oh, Interesting. I kind of go questionable is 75-25. Oh, see, that's probable. No, probable, I'd go with 95. To me, it goes in 100 to 0. First number is in, second number is out. In is 100 to 0. Probable is 75-25. Questionable is 50-50. Doubtful is 2575 and out is 0 and 100. Doubtful, I put it like 30 to 40, but okay. Um, so this is going to be my upset pick of the week. I'm going oh with my the Lions God. on this one. Oh, and, Lord. And, yeah, and hear me out, Mike. Have you looked at Indianapolis's schedule? All right, we'll go look right now. Well, actually, you don't have to. I'm going to read this off to you. This is Indianapolis's schedule. They have Baltimore, Tennessee, Green Bay, Tennessee. 
the next four games after this Detroit game. Yeah, that's an ow. Here's the problem with a game like this, and I've learned from previous games, this is a very overlookable game for Indianapolis. Oh, God. Indy has Tennessee on the road on Thursday night football after they play the Ravens. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, what the hell is that scheduling? And, and basically what this it they, this schedule kind of tells me that Frank Reich and the Colts are ready to play the Ravens more. They're not ready to play the Lions. And I find that to be very beneficial for Detroit in multiple ways. The defense, I covered in my winners and losers section last week, that Matt Patricia, as bad as he's been, he kind of did a good job with preparing a different mindset for the Lions the past couple games. He got, an, he got a challenge that he won that kind of gave Matt Prater a, a chance to kick a field goal. Prater missed. Um, but the Lions' last second win, that's not a team that we're accustomed to seeing the past two years under Matt Patricia. And I look at this game as... Obviously, Indianapolis is going to overlook the Lions, but for the Lions, they're three and three. Mm-hmm. This is a game that they must win in order to stay in playoff contention. <clears throat> We've talked about the Bears being crap, and and deservedly so. With the Lions, I'm not sure where we really stand because their three losses have come with double-digit leads, and they must have done something different at the bye because this is a different-looking team. They're closing games out more. I and I believe Matthew Stafford's probably the best QB on the field. So I, I got the Lions with the upset win here. So basically, is ringing the alarm for a trap game, and I am ringing the alarm because there is a beatdown coming next. It's Vikings and Packers at Lambeau Field. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so, murder on the tundra. You know when I said Packers by 20. You remember at the beginning of the season, I said the Vikings would win the division? <laughs> yeah, you remember when I was thinking somewhere near those lines, too? Jeez. We got, we got sold a bill of goods, my friend. I, I think we really underestimated how Aaron Rodgers, like, I think we both thought the worst for Green Bay. And, well, okay, Detroit and Chicago was made how shit Kirk Cousins was. Yeah, I I think we thought, okay, Kirk Cousins has won that one playoff game uh, where he actually showed out. And okay, the the 49ers game was absolutely atrocious. But we kind of saw that coming. And it looked like this was going to be a next step up. Yeah, okay, the the defense didn't have, you know, some of the parts. Yannick Ngakwe came in, so we'll clean up a bit. They look like they're in free fall right now. And Green Bay better take this one by 40. (laughs) Yeah, I think Green Bay should win this one by a freaking landslide. Um, and speaking of a landslide, Minkley. Oh, my God. Uh, we have the Jets playing the Chiefs. Someone asked on the Yahoo week, was it week eight? Someone said the Chiefs are, the point total was like 43.5, and someone said, is that for both teams or is it for the Chiefs? <laughs> I got. I got to tell you, it, of all games to watch, I feel bad for Kevin Harlan for having to call this game. 
Yeah, I feel bad for whoever has to call this travesty. Um, oh, quick question. Yes. This is a very valuable question involving okay. this game. Okay. Do you think Patrick Mahomes should have the start? Yes. Um, keep him keep him loose and try and win him an MVP. Uh, by the way, as far as the action goes, I actually think the Jets are going to cover. The line is 20. ESPN has it at 20.5. I have it on FanDuel as 19 and a half. I think the Jets are going to cover. I am teasing this game to make the line uh, uh, 12 and a half instead of uh, 20. Because, I mean, they do kind of, they being, they didn't play down last week. They have kind of liked playing down recently. And I think 20 is just too high for a line to go. I feel like, you know, more times than not, somebody scores a late touchdown and you'll you'll wind up covering. So I think this is a game where the Chiefs score a load of points early and then just kind of fall off. So I would say Jets to cover. I'm not going to bet it. Like I said, I'm going to teaser the Chiefs to make it 12 and a half and take that as part of my, like, big teaser for the week. Uh, but, yeah, so that's my pick. Uh, Chiefs both ways for us. Uh, Rams and Dolphins in Miami. Uh, Rams is going to be another one. I'm going to bet on the spread directly on this one. Uh, Rams, three and a half. You're kidding me. Of course I'm taking the Rams here. By the way, I just want to say for the Chiefs, they play Carolina, obviously, next. We harped on that. Then they have a bye week, and then they play the, the, the Raiders again. So, again, do you want to play Patrick Mahomes for this game? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of leaning towards no with this. But um, we'll keep that in mind. Um, I'm kind of mixed with the Tua Tonga-Vailoa situation. I think that that does play a factor in this game because obviously the Rams have no film to work with. They came off a Monday night game. Um, but you got Aaron Donald. And that defensive front has been playing very well. How about this one with the Rams? The best running back rating has to go right now in the entire NFL to, oh, where is he? Daryl Henderson Jr., mm. best grade throughout the first few week, first seven weeks of the season. Really? Which, which is pretty damn good. The, the Rams are seventh in running the ball in rushing yards, 142.3 yards per game. Um, what, what am I getting at here? Well, I think because you have this dazzling rookie QB and, and the hype is on him making his debut. What is the best way for that hype to die down? Run the ball on the offense. You run it down Miami's throat. Seattle honestly did a really good job at that. They did a great job exposing that. Uh, when they played in Miami. And it made Fitzpatrick play more aggressive. Obviously, they got turnovers. They only got a touchdown late in the game, and it was a garbage one, but it worked. And I kind of see the Rams doing the same thing here. Run the ball down the Dolphins' throat. So when... when, What? I have a thing about Tua. Are you ready? What? Where did Tua go to college? Bama. 
please go find me the last good Alabama quarterback. Yeah, that's another good one too. I I I would also say, like on it honestly, when it comes to this, if Tua steps back to throw, it's going to be hell. And I feel like this is the game plan the Rams got to do coming off a short week. You kind of got to make it a little easier since, what, you're on the road now? I got the Rams winning this. Yeah, I do too. Um, Tua, Jalen Hurts, not drafted out of Alabama, but rather drafted out of Oklahoma, but was still there. Um, A.J. McCarron, big one. Brody Croyle. Big oh one. God! Uh, uh, apparently, Freddie Kitchens was a quarterback at Alabama. I didn't actually know that. Um, how, how the hell was he a quarterback? I don't know. I mean, I'm on list of Crimson Tide starting quarterbacks from 1933 to present. What? Where's the good QBs? Well, for sure, is not Brody Coyle or Freddie Kitchens. Jake Coker led Alabama to the 2016 Natty, and he didn't get drafted. I think Blake Sims got drafted, but he sucked. AJ AJ McCarron's garbage. Brody Coyle is garbage. He was drafted by the Chiefs. Brody Coyle is the top five worst quarterbacks I've ever watched play. (laughs) In the NFL? NFL. Mm. Amazing how Kansas City drafted him. Um... I mean, their last good quarterback, like, from Bama, is Ken Stabler. Yeah, and he's dead. And that's that whole 1966. (laughs) They haven't had a guy go pro and not suck ass in 60 fucking years. So, I'm See, sorry, Tua, you, you went to Bama. Question. See, now I have to ask you this question because I okay. feel like it's very relevant. So, do you feel they're starting Tua early? Yes. Okay. So, I'm not the only one thinking that. I thought... No, oh, I also think Brian Flores is a massive asshole for what he did to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Or, and not really Brian Flores, but don't get me with GM. I, I get the whole Ryan Fitzpatrick thing. He's going to choke at some point. He's been in the league how long? But I'm sorry, when the guy's on fire, you don't pull him. I mean, can you imagine if this was the NHL and you pulled a goalie because, oh, he, even though he had the shutout, well, we need to get, we're going to, there's so much hype around the next guy, we're going to start him. What? Yep. Like, that is so damn stupid. And I thought that the Dolphins were doing the right thing by, you know, not playing. They were going to integrate him more in the system. Now, I will say this. If there was a time you were going to start him, I would say this is the time. Because mm-hmm. they had the bye week. You could integrate him more to the system. I get it. But this is just bad overall. Mm-hmm. All right, on to the next game, the big one. Steelers, Ravens, Baltimore, M&T Bank Stadium. Baltimore favored by four. Minkley, where are you going? I'm going Ravens. You're going with Bmore. You're going with the home team here. 
is this in- because B Moore's at home? Partly, but also because they had the bye week. So they're freshly rested. I'm assuming they have more film to use on the Steelers. And those two things in particular are really going to help them. I would actually take Baltimore if this was in Heinz Field, too. Okay. I'm taking Pittsburgh in this one. Jimmy Smith was questionable on the tw- – it was last listed questionable, like started listed questionable on Wednesday. He's been questionable the entire week, are not 100% certain he's going to go. If he does go, probably not at 100%. Mark Ingram today came out on the scouting on the uh, injury list as questionable. Something might be up with Mark Ingram. That will be a problem for Baltimore if they can't run a football Give me the Steelers at home. I'm not betting on this game, even though I've been liking the idea of picking all the noon games. I'm not picking this game. I'm not putting money on this game. I think this very easily could go either way, but I think the deciding factor is going to be because Lamar Jackson is not a good quarterback, like throwing-wise. He's not a good thrower, and Big Ben is. But I, but this is where I think the bye week comes into importance because you have your offensive line to tailor around film from what you saw from the previous games and the Titans games. You do have to wonder how much the tight ends are going to be a factor, how Pittsburgh is going to take those away with the linebackers they have. I like Gus Edwards. Even if Mark Ingram isn't clear to go, I think he will be with what you gave me about the whole questionable and probable thing. I think he'll be good to go, but I would keep the rotation of running backs and tight ends constant during the game. And the big thing, believe it or not, is kind of what you said. You got to make sure that um, you let Lamar Jackson either contained and throw horribly or you find ways for him to excel and make the throws that he can. Because I feel, I feel this could be a really run-heavy game. For both teams. You know what? I agree, and I think it could be, too. Um, the action on this game, the over-under is 46 and a half. Is it really? Hello? Michael? I'm not muted this time. There you are. Hang on. Let me check something here. See, it says I'm on blue snowball. Oh, no, it's switched. Darn you. Oh, that's what happened. What the heck? There we go. Hello. I should sound much better now. Yeah, you sound much better to me, Michael. Okay, I was going to say, um, sorry, um, uh, my headphones are dead, so I'm using my gaming headset, and I have my snowball plugged in, uh, so I don't really know why, but it wanted to use my gaming headset instead of my snowball, um, so let me know if you can't hear me again. Um, no, I can hear you. Okay, so you heard me pick Steelers, right? Correct. Okay. So, low-scoring affair, Chargers and Broncos, this is in Denver, no snow expected. Uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers versus the Bucking Bucking Broncos. And, uh, uh, by the way, we're getting more extensive into the picks because this is basically what we're going to do to fill time from here on out 
for most of the rest of the year until we get to draft and such. Um, nothing really major except Brian Bulaga questionable since Wednesday and Philip Lindsay questionable since Thursday. One for the Chargers, one for the Broncos. Don't think injuries is a major factor here. Chargers are favored by three and a half, and I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with the Chargers favored on the road. Uh, so give me the Chargers. Yeah, I'm going to take the Chargers, too. I think the big thing that really concerns me here is the defensive play. And I think the Chargers have the better defense all around, considering a lot of guys for Denver are hurt. And Justin um, Herbert is a lot better than Drew Locke. Well, I, the thing with Drew Locke is I still think he's battling some of the injuries he's had because he rushed in. Because Denver has no one else a quarterback to really play unless you really want to say Jeff Driscoll can play, and I do not. Um, I would like to say Denver is at least a bit more competitive in this game. I think it will be closer, um, but I think the Chargers will wind up taking this one and they'll close it out like last game against the Jags. Chargers have a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. The next game I think should be flexed out of being America's Game of the Week at 425 on Fox. I really do, uh, especially now with the injury report from today uh, out for the Bears. It's Bears and Saints. First of all, I'm betting against the Bears on this. Give me the Saints. Um, give me the money, the points, whatever you want to give me. Give me the Saints. Um, Michael Thomas has been questionable since Thursday. So he's, again, not sure if he can play. This is the Bears injury report uh, from today, anyway. Let me call up the full thing here. Let me get down to the Bears one second. Oop, shoot, I went way too far. Here we go. All right. Khalil Mack, questionable. Eddie Jackson, questionable. Cordero Patterson, questionable. Allen Robinson, questionable. Did not practice today. Sherrick McManus, questionable. The big one, white hair, in or out, out. No white hair for the Bears this week. Worst line in football, Saints by at least double digits. Saints. Yeah, and no Allen Robinson either from what it looks like. So this is going to be a very hard game offensively for the Bears. Um, the fact that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are calling this is absolutely hilarious. I will it's, not this game. It's an unfortunate waste of trade. Yep. Um, so give me the bear, or not the bear, give me the Saints. Oh, I'll give you the Bears. Oh, don't you worry. You want to take the Bears here, Mankley? I'll, I'll give them to you. I got the Saints. <laughs> All right. At important NFC West matchup from CenturyLink Field in Seattle, Washington. It is the Niners and Seahawks. Now, before you make this pick, you should know. D there is no Debo Samuel Sunday. Jimmy Ward and Quan Alexander questionable. And on the Seahawks side, Chris Carson is questionable. But on the fantasy side of ESPN, they are projecting him zero. So they are projecting him to not play. And the Seahawks just signed Alex Collins. Carlos Hyde is also questionable. Travis Horner is questionable. They could be down three running backs for this game, and they could have a not totally healthy, totally healthy Jamal Adams. We know the injury report of the Niners, and now they have no Debo. 
I think Seattle still wins the game. But I actually kind of like where the line is here, the minus three. I feel like it's about right. So give me the Seahawks, but it's going to be closer than you kind of would think. And the, the Niners have been very, very resilient throughout this horrible injury period. So again, I think that there is, you know, definitely a a win for Seattle here. But I don't think it's net by a ton. Here's what I'm looking at. And and you said part you said some of the injuries. Here's what I'm looking at for Seattle's injuries, and it is very concerning. I got mine from Espen, by the way. Oh, I went to the Seahawks.com team injury report because okay. I couldn't find the article I found earlier. Here are our wonderful injury lists. Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, Travis Homer. Those are the running backs, I believe, two of the three you mentioned. Mike Upati and Dwayne Brown, that's the left side of the offensive line, did not practice any time this week. Jamal Adams, we he may not play this game, but there's also Quentin Dunbar, Ugo Wamadi. That's the backup free safety behind. What the hell did you just call me? Really? Ugo Wamadi, Shaquille Griffin, Benson Mayoa, and Freddie Swain. This is a very loaded injury list. And even with Debo Samuel and Jeff Wilson Jr. out for San Francisco, I'm kind of worried. I think it will come down to quarterback play, but Seattle cannot afford to lose this game, especially after they lost to the Arizona Cardinals. They have to beat San Francisco, and it's going to take, of course, the offense to do it again. But I will say this. I think um, with the addition of Carlos Dunlap, obviously Dunlap's not going to play because they just traded for him uh, middle of the week. Um, I think there's some answer for the pass rush, and we're going to have to see how that bodes after this game. Kind of glad they made that move, but um, they're going to have to win this game, Mike. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it's not because I don't want to hear anything from my ri- from the other rival fans. It's that you got to win this game to stay in first place. Because we got the Rams beating um, the Dolphins, and the Cardinals are on their bye week. So... <laughs> What is it? We got a Sunday night game too, don't we? Yeah, we, we do indeed have Sunday night football on NBC. Alan and Chris not going to have fun on TV. It's the Cowboys and the Eagles in the Bowl. <laughs> Eagles are favored by 10.5, which I think is too much considering just how shit they are. Uh, <laughs> Eagles by a field goal in one of the most Pathetic displays of the year. You know what's... Uh, I, I touched on this on my winners and losers Inkley, section. why the hell are you thinking about this? No, I, I'm not thinking about it. I'm telling okay. you something. I touched on this in my winners and losers. This may be the worst division in American sports in, like, a very long time. Yeah, really. Like, forget football. This could be one of the worst divisions in entire American sports. Um, as for the pick, I can't believe before the Eagles beat the Giants, the Cowboys were actually in first place and people were quitting on the coach. 
<laughs> Do you know how bad the, the whole division has to be for that to happen? I mean, <laughs> that's that's horrid. Um, but yeah, I got the Eagles in this one. I got the Eagles by five. All right. All right. Don't be surprised if the kickers are the highlights of the game. <laughs> so you think it's going to be uh, 15 to 9-ish? Um, I'm going to say 19-14. Ew. Yeah. That's ugly. That is one Halloween-y game. They should have done it on Saturday. Hey, I'll uh, tell you what's very Halloween-y is the game after. Yeah, really. Buccaneers and Giants. Uh, what a terrible way to start the month of November. Uh, good Lord. Um, I would rather be kicked in the nuts than watch this game. <laughs> Buccaneers favored by 12 and a half. The problem went by that. Jesus Christ, the Giants suck. Uh, if the Bucks don't win this game by 20, they're awful. <laughs> Would you put him in the garbage category, Mike? If you don't, oh no. If they don't win this game by more than a touchdown, I'm putting them in garbage. See, I can go with that. But I think they'll win by 20. All right, so the only real deviation this week, once again, is a couple of games, Minkley. I have the Browns, you have the Raiders, I have the Colts, you have the Lions, so... What are you down? Four games? That's right, I am. Oh, by the way, what is your upset pick of the week? I don't really have one because I don't think there is going to be one. Oh, no, I have one. The Steelers. I forgot about that one. There's three differences. You have Ravens. I have Steelers. And the Steelers are not favored. So there's my upset. Okay. Yeah, I can go with that. So three, you're... Are you're up four, right? Or I'm up four in total? Yes. Okay, so at the end of this week, you're either going to be potentially down seven or <laughs> potentially backed my lead only to one. Or a mix of therein. Yeah, or a mix of you're going to be down seven after the week. Or a mix of whatever. I hope you're happy. <laughs> I'm fine. Are you sure? I mean, anything can happen, Mike. <laughs> you sure you're not having a stroke? Hey, what, the Ravens and the Steelers could wind up as a tie. Go away. <laughs> okay, but if it is a tie, what ha what would you say? Neither one of them. It doesn't count. It's a push. <laughs> Just don't count. I mean, but it could happen. Yeah, you mean like your dumbass predicted a tie on Thursday Night Football and lost because of it? You knocked hey, it. I'm sorry. Did you see who was playing on that Thursday Night game? Denver and the New York Jets? Yeah. And I you mean, didn't predict a tie for Eagles and Cowboys. I mean, Jeff Driscoll was starting. We're talking about a backup versus a, a starter whose head coach is on cocaine. <laughs> Seriously, can somebody set Adam Gase's eyes back into his skull? I really wonder how, when he got on drugs. Well, I think they're trying to run away. Like, his, his eyeballs are running away from him. Oh, yeah. 
It's weird. You, you've got to think, seriously, though, you've got to think the Jets have nowhere to go but up. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's it for this show. Um, hey, uh, people, Halloween's coming up. It's tomorrow. So, uh, well, today when you're hearing this, um, please be safe. Don't do anything stupid on Halloween. You know, don't light a turd on fire and put it on your neighbor's porch in a bag. Or, uh, or or watch the bears, um, or do anything really heinously stupid. Uh, and also be safe. Wear a mask if you go trick or treating. If you don't want trick or treaters' health at your house, just shut your porch light off. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully none of the kitties get COVID. But Florida exists, so they probably will. Oh my God! I have the No Marks Love podcast. Please go listen to that on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts. You know the drill at this point. Go listen to the Fixins this week. New episode just came up. And um, Inkley, plug the blog before I forget. Yep, uh, my blog is jdsportscorner.wordpress.com. Winners and losers. Week 7 was a very interesting write and a fun read for anyone who got to go on. That is my blog site. Of course, I do the show. And I manage the Sports Fixins Facebook page, which has become very fun. I gotta tell you. It is very fun managing the Facebook page more and more. We are getting more views, more listens, and more feedback, which I really do appreciate. All right, and that's it for this week's edition of the Sports Fixins. Now with swearing. So for Justin Minkley, I am Michael Lyon. Everybody, wear a goddamn mask. Stay safe. Stay healthy. <laughs> go vote. Remember, Tuesday is Election Day. I will, I will either be incredibly relieved or incredibly depressed come Thursday as we either hurdle towards ultra-individual nationalistic America or take a step back towards sanity. Which is not so, existing. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Go vote. Hopefully we're not all wearing um, Don't catch a stroke from like the one 40s. of our presidents have. Hopefully we're not all wearing items from the 40s on Thursday. I'll let you interpret what kind of items I'm talking about. Or dress like we're in The Handmaid's too. That too. And have a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and a good night. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>